It's four o'clock in the morning, and you have to go to the bathroom again. Don't just suffer. Get Preso, made from all natural ingredients grown right here in Israel. Preso brand Opuntima capsules can help men suffering from prostate or urinary problems and women suffering from incontinence or cystitis. Don't just suffer. Get Preso on the web at www.preso.com. That's P-R-I-S-S-O dot com. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. It's great to have you here today. You're listening to the Noahide Nation show here on Israel National Radio. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and of course, my compadre here, my fellow co-host, Prescott Johnson. Prescott, how you doing today, buddy? I'm fine, Ray. We just emerged from a deep freeze for the past week here in uh, Nova Scotia, and uh, we're now hovering around zero. Oh, uh, for you folks in America, that'd be 32 degrees. (laughs) So you're getting a bit of that global warming up there too then, huh? Yeah, we got a good dose of global warming last week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but we're, yeah, no. we're, we're we're warming up this week and it's it's quite nice so well that's good uh hopefully the uh weather's going to be improving here because i know uh, just recently uh, our whole eastern seaboard got stacked up with two and a half to three feet of snow so <laughs> they're not yeah, they're, you, they don't want al gore in town anytime soon <laughs> no no well you know it was interesting because uh, uh, newfoundland which uh, if you can imagine, we've got um, uh, on the East Coast, we've got New York and the Eastern Seaboard uh, on one side of us, on the lower side of us. And then on the other side is Newfoundland. And they had a storm in Newfoundland at the same time they were having a storm on the East Coast of the States. And when you looked at the satellite uh, picture, it was kind of swirling around and there was like this little hole in the uh, cloud cover where we were. And uh, I like to think that that's because I'm here. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, you know, let's keep a positive attitude, huh? Well, you know. You're the Canuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know, we're special. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we got a, a really... Uh, a really interesting show, and I mean, when I say interesting, I do mean interesting, and uh, we're going to be getting into that in a minute. However, I do want to do a little bit of housekeeping just to kind of uh, get this moved out of the way, and that is, of course, that Prescott and I thoroughly enjoy getting your emails, and I know that you're all anxiously waiting for this show to end so that you can send us an email, so when you do that, make sure you send it to noahide at israelnationalradio.com. So today, Prescott, we have got uh, a very interesting guest. He's a friend of mine. I've known him for a while now, and this subject matter is uh, both interesting and controversial. In mm. fact, it's probably as interesting as it is controversial. And yep. it uh, is uh, a topic that is much debated. And then sometimes it's not debated so much because we just tend to wear ourselves out over it. 
but let's <laughs> let's go ahead and and bring our guest in here. Uh, as I mentioned before, he is a very good friend of mine. I've, I've known him for a number of years now, and the topic that we are going to be touching on today, my friends, is Noahides eating kosher, or should I say Gentiles eating kosher? Is it a commandment? Is it not a commandment? What is it if you do? And the gentleman that's going to help us out on this today is none other than Russell Kirk. Russell, come on in here, my friend. How you doing? Oh, thank you, Ray Prescott. It's uh, good of y'all to have me here and uh, speaking on this subject that uh, I've been uh, having a lot of opportunity over the years to debate. So I'm, I'm glad to bring it to this format. Well, and we are definitely glad to uh, have you here. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we first started talking about doing this show, it reminded me of the Noahide World Conference that we had out in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, and, of course, you were there. And uh, a friend of ours, uh, Rabbi Kayim Richmond, was there as well. And uh, he gave a, a couple of lectures. But in one of his lectures, he spoke about uh, Noahide halakha. And one of the aspects got involved with uh, eating kosher. And this, of course, is, as I mentioned, this is a topic that's as interesting as it is controversial. And, and he knew it at the time, uh, but went ahead with it anyway. And I know that this had a, a great deal of impact on many, many people in the Noahide community. And, you know, lots of folks were talking about it, kicking it back and forth. Should we? Shouldn't we? And, you know, of course, we had both, both camps, some for, some against. Now we're going to be you know, touching on a number of the points that he made, but from a Noahide perspective. And I, and I know that you have a great interest in, in Gentiles eating kosher, and in our case, Noahides eating kosher. And you have been involved in a great deal of study uh, on the koshering process, uh, uh, definitions of kosher. And, and I'm wondering uh, if this lecture with Rabbi Richmond was what got you started on this quest, or was it uh, uh, a confirming word that got uh, uh, that was confirmed for you for something that you'd been doing all along, or was it something entirely different that motivated you to the to the level of understanding of kosher for Noahides that you are at now? Well, well Ray, I've been studying this mitzvot for uh, since the awareness uh, of uh, Noahides studying Torah, you know, I've, um, it's one of the most intriguing, uh, mitzvotes there. And it's just, you know, shrouded in a lot of, uh, mystery. And so naturally I, I gravitated toward that and started delving into it. But let me say that that, um, a lecture by Tom Richmond was, uh, you know, historic in, in, in bringing this to the forefront and I strongly suggest that anybody that has not uh, gotten a CD of that um, lecture from Noahide Nations off of that, I believe you still have those listed there, it is uh, probably the best source material for the documentation and credibility of what we're about to talk about today because, uh, as uh, Rabbi Richmond says, this comes from... Uh, uh, their study and their research, and it has the backing of Rolf Swartz. So highly authoritative uh, documentation to the subject uh, matter that we'll be talking about. And, um, yes, as, as I've started uh, 
delving further and further into this. It's it's like the the uh, proverbial onion. It is the more layers it has, and the more <laughs> interesting it's become. And uh, I'm just very uh, uh, very excited about uh, every new thing I learn and and uh, every aspect. And it basically it. it it draws you closer to Torah and closer to Hashem, and, uh, and it just holds you in awe of the depth that uh, of the Torah and Hashem and the and uh, and uh, learning mitzvot just in general. Well, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I happen to be looking over uh, that DVD uh, from the conference, and it is a DVD number twenty. And it is a, a very lengthy uh, lecture on, on specifically Noahide halakha, on you know can Noahides keep Shabbat, uh, you know what they can and can't study, uh, you know should Noahides eat, eat kosher, and you know just just many many more areas of uh, halakha for Noahides. And it was quite fascinating. I wasn't actually able to see it live. Uh, I didn't really realize the impact it was going to have until after I got back and we were editing and, and actually saw it. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is, uh, you know, I don't know about historical, but it definitely was a landmark lecture. There's no doubt about it. So uh, for anyone who does have an interest in this, I you know, I have to agree with Russell that it, th- this thing is packed with very authoritative information from Rabbi Chaim Richman uh, out of Israel, and it is uh, a DVD number twenty. And I'm not sure what they're on in the store for. Maybe ten bucks, something like that, twelve dollars. I, I don't know, but y'all uh, have a look at it. This one is uh, a keeper for sure. Yeah, and we're we're also uh, looking to have those videos available for uh, uh, download uh, at some time in the new future, in the in the new in the new Noahide site. But it might not be ready when this goes to broadcast. But uh, it is something that we're we're looking at doing. So you had to get the plug in for the site, Ray. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, get that shameless plug in. That's that's good. Uh, but yeah, in fact, I can pretty much assure you that uh, these downloads won't be available till well after the uh, uh, the broadcast of of this show. But Russell, you know, let me. Let me ask you this, because you're you're kind of the the resident expert, as it were, in the Noahide community. Is there, in in your estimation, a commandment for non-Jews to eat kosher? Well, the, this is this is the 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 crux of the problem, right? And I believe, uh, out of all the debates I've had and discussions, I think it's using the word kosher because the Gentile mindset automatically kicks over to the Jewish laws and what's required from the Torah for the Jewish people. But uh, to answer your question, Noahides or Gentiles in general have dietary requirements. Thus, they have a, a kosher dietary laws or law to perform. So they, they do not escape uh, this by merely being Gentiles or Noahides, they do have a requirement. They have to look at that as being kosher or not kosher within their defined um, dietary laws. And this is one of the things that uh, I, I believe that the Western Gentile mindset uh, or European Gentile mindset, whatever, has a, such a hard time uh, getting a grasp of because we we have uh, been raised with the uh, ideal that we can eat anything that's not big enough to eat us first. 
Uh, and so to, <laughs> with our mindset being that, uh, you know, we can eat anything, anytime we want to eat. Um, and then, then we delve into Torah and we realize that there is some type of restriction there. Uh, there's just the hardest um, time uh, getting our mind around that. And basically, what, what I believe, and my, personally, what I believe is it, it's a problem dealing with submitting uh, to the wheel of consumption. We are, we are a people with a mindset of, of consumption in every part of life. You know, we think if one is good, two's got to be better. <laughs> And so we naturally uh, have this wheel of consumption that uh, we, you know, we want to we want to eat, we want to eat whatever we want to eat, whenever we want to eat, you know. And it uh, it may be in the Constitution as one of the inalienable rights, you know. I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but um, we do we do we do want to eat uh, and have this freedom, and we we believe it and we accept it, and I think it's from our uh, you know, Gentile past, and 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 now that we come together and we start delving into the depths of Torah, uh, we understand that that's not the case, and that there is uh, requirements and restrictions, and that uh, we need to learn that, learn about it, and get a grasp on it, and I um, and I believe that um, the the reasoning behind it is because we can create a consciousness by following this one particular mitzvot uh, of not eating the limb of a living animal uh, that people are not aware of. And um, this, you know, and if I'd like to, Ray, I'd like to just kind of go to the, the uh, beginning here with the, with the verse itself because I believe... Uh, we lose so much within the uh, Hebrew English translation to where a lot of people reading it at face value misunderstand it. And I'm saying this because I know I did. And right. Uh, right. you misunderstand it until you start looking into it. So if I can, in Bereshit 9.4, this, this is the text, the proof text. And it states from the Stone translation, but flesh... With its soul, its blood, you shall not eat. Well, right off of the right from the start, from the very most simple peshats, people think that uh, Gentiles think that you're not to eat blood, and uh, and then they go on from there. But once we uh, start understanding what this blood means, it's talking about the heat in the, the blood rushing through the veins and the heat in the body, and this is this heat and this blood is the life force. And we're not to kill the animal and start cutting that flesh with its life force in it and eat it. And this, this translates into making sure that the animals we eat are completely dead at the time of slaughter. And this is this is the very basis, the very beginning of a of a journey to uh, waking up our consciousness to a to a, a higher realm. Okay, when you say that it needs to be dead, can you uh, define that 
a little for us? You know, what does dead mean? Does this mean when it stops moving? Does it mean when there's uh, uh, no blood in the animal? For example, when they hang it, they you know they let the the blood run out. Just you know, kind of help us along in, in that area. What exactly is the definition of dead? And that's, a, that's an excellent question, right? Then there's actually two definitions of dead. There's brain dead, and there's nerve dead. And as Gentiles, we are commanded to have the animal be nerve dead. And that means that the animal, it's, it's reflux, it's reflexes, and it's, its movement is uh, totally gone from the body. This is a nerve dead. And one of the ways we use to check that is that we prick the hair right above the hoof line of an animal, and if it, if it has a, a reflex to it, then uh, the animal is not completely dead or not considered nerve dead at that time. That is what we're interested in and we're concerned about as Gentiles. We are concerned about an animal being nerve dead, and that means that uh, uh, there is absolutely no movement in the body, and... Um, then we can move on to the next process of processing the animal. Okay, now this is all very fascinating. Now here in the United States, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but here in the United States we have, a, I believe it's the USDA uh, that is the ones who monitor the uh, butchering process uh, of uh, livestock. Is that, is that who it is, the USDA? Yes, yes, that would be the USDA. Okay, how how does their standards measure up to the standard of death that you just described? I have actually interviewed uh, a USDA inspector within a, a, a slaughter plant and uh, asked them this very question about uh, the animal's movement uh, in their body, and they said that that is no concern of theirs. They are not interested in any quivering or, or any for, nor they care about. They say, their opinion, that the animal is dead at the time uh, that they bleed it out. Hmm. Whether the nerves are still reacting or not. And this is, this was a, this is a, to me, it's a, it was a direct quote. They have no concern whatsoever. So, so I guess... So it's not- I was I'm just going to say that the short answer then, for at least here in the United States, is that USDA standards uh, the for, for us Noahides would not be considered kosher then. Yes, and uh, the the problem with that, and I and I see where they're coming from. If, if the animal is bled out, then sure it is dead, and and the time it takes it to get from a point A to point B. Uh, you would think uh, that that it would be nerve dead. Point A being from the place where it is. Uh, the animal is bled out to the place to where uh, the slaughtering process begins. But what we have to keep in mind is that some slaughterhouse facilities can slaughter up to 365 animals within an hour. This process is so lightning fast that there is absolutely no assurance that the animal from the beginning, uh, uh, from the kill process, to the beginning of the slaughter process is, in fact, 
nerve dead, but even even to the extent of whether it's even dead at all uh, of any type. Right. So, so I guess because uh, the I'm, I'm sorry. I think because, what, look, human error is. I feel like I'm on Fox News, <laughs> and because <laughs> they ask a question and they and there's the delay between the time that uh, they receive the uh, the question in their ear. <laughs> but um, so so I guess the the thing is is that in most cases there is a high possibility or a high probability that it the animal would be nerve dead before they begin the next step in the process the problem is is that we have no way of guaranteeing it because it's not part of the it's not part of the procedure to make sure that it's nerve dead and therefore that possibility opens up this window of doubt there is there is no first of all there's no USDA requirement so the inspectors doesn't doesn't care the findings from uh, Rabbi Richmond and um, even in uh, Rabbi Yermiyahu Beinman's uh, book on Noahide laws, he even makes the statement that this slaughter process, there is no assurance right. that this can happen with uh, each individual animal. And and basically what it, what it boils down to, is that when you walk up into that grocery store and you see this uh, uh, beautifully cellophane-wrapped piece of meat, you have no idea uh, how that animal was killed and what condition that it was in or what it went through or you know what's happening. And the, uh, the question to uh, Noahides is, you know, does that matter? Do I do I need to know at this point? Am I responsible at this point mm. to know what condition this animal was uh, slaughtered in? And by eating this piece of meat, am I keeping with my kosher, my meaning my Noahide kosher standards? And from all findings uh, that we have. Uh, looked at there's no way to be sure that that's happening today this is uh, uh fascinating because it just occurred to me that if this is the case then there certainly had to have been uh an oral law if you will that hashem gave to noah in terms of uh, uh describing what this process is in terms of meeting the the uh, uh, mitzvot of Genesis nine four, and uh, I see we're bumping up against the bottom of the hour. Maybe we could come back and and, and talk about that a little bit more because I know it's not going to sit well with folks when they find out that there is a <laughs> commandment of eating kosher. So, and again, that's why I introduced it as being as interesting as it is controversial. So let's go ahead and scoot out of here and take this break. And uh, uh, Prescott, we'll see everybody on the uh, other side. Right on.
Kidashta, the personal touch, invite everyone to their two exciting stores, one in the heart of Jerusalem and one in Modeim. Kidashta, the personal touch, is the epitome of elegant style and service. Sterling silver, artistic glassware, jewelry, talitot, mezuzot, and much more. And also features a full boutique wine department specializing in Israeli wines. And, of course, everything is available online at Judaica 4 u Judaica, the numeral 4 and the letter U, dot com. Joshua had one at Jericho. Gideon had one. Now you can too. You can buy your very own authentic Israeli-made ceremonial ram's horn or shofar anywhere in the world by visiting www.thegreatshofar.com. For free shipping, enter the code INR on the website checkout page. That's INR for Israel National Radio. Get your very own shofar at www.thegreatshofar.com. Well, welcome back, everybody. We appreciate you sticking around for the second half of the Noahide Nation show. And again, you're here on Israel National Radio, good old INR. We, we love the folks at uh, Israel National Radio. We appreciate them uh, allowing us to Noahide to come on here and be able to have a show and be able to talk to all the Gentile listeners out there about some of the things that we need to know about Torah. And speaking of those things, Prescott, why don't you run through the seven mitzvot for us, the Sheva mitzvot uh, for our audience? Yeah, the, um, the Sheva mitzvot begins with a commandment to not commit idolatry, to not commit blasphemy, to not commit murder, to not commit sexual immorality, to not commit theft. And the one that we're talking about today is the prohibition against eating the limb of a living animal. And uh, the last of the commandments is to establish courts of justice to implement these, uh, these laws. Well, and interestingly enough, the uh, courts of justice actually come before the uh, not eating the limb of a living animal, which was actually the last one given to Noah. Uh, oh, was that because, right? Because the first six were given to Adam, Adam. and oh, then right. the and then the seventh one is not to eat the limb of a living animal, which was the first time that Hashem gave man permission to eat meat. And this is what we happen to be discussing today. You're absolutely right. And <laughs> during the last segment, we were kind of talking about the the slaughterhouses, the, uh, 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 the 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 blood in the meat, and you know what does death mean and what it doesn't mean, and uh, we're kind of, you know, during the break, we're talking a little bit about the uh, uh, the USDA and and the, the slaughterhouses and all these inspectors. And, uh, Russell, you came up with a very interesting thought on that and some comments. Why don't you, why don't you share those with us about uh, some of the issues with the uh, slaughterhouses? Okay, I sure will, Ray. Uh, what I have here is a, uh, a AP press report uh, from a uh, Gillen... Flaccus, F-L-A-C-C-U-S, and uh, this report was done on uh, February 24th, I'm sorry, February 21st, 2009, and the, the title of uh, the, uh, the article is, Inspectors Say Meat Safety is Threatened, and uh, the report goes on to um, say that the inspectors themselves are overwhelmed overworked, 
cannot perform uh, their job duties to the fullest extent. And this is coming off of the um, the massive recalls back last year that we were having in California and the problems that were going on there. And this is some of the reporting that came after that. And uh, these inspectors themselves say, with these large amount of uh, animals being slaughtered, uh, 365 in an hour, and they have so many of these animals to inspect a day that all they can do is, uh, you know, walk on catwalks above them and, and look for cows whose ears are drooping or they might be stumbling or visible things like that. And, and they uh, are voicing concern about diseases such as mad cow or anything else being able to slip through. My thoughts on that is if they can't even, um, if they're not even sure about the diseases that the animals may have or the conditions that they're in, um, how in the world are they going to make sure whether the, the kill process, even re that's required by the USDA, is being met at all? Hmm. I mean, some of this that was going on in California was um, they knew when the inspectors would go to break and go to uh, you know lunch, and, and uh, let me tell you, as a government employee myself, we we do know exactly when break and lunch happen, <laughs> and we're pretty. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, we're pretty prompt on those things. Yeah, it doesn't take long to figure out our patterns, okay? So now, um, so when these workers, they, when they knew that they had what they call a downer cow, you know, one that may not could walk on its own, it was it would be so sick, they would at that time during lunch, they would run these cattle through, and uh, this was what the recall was about in California, wow. that type of activity. Anybody that is going to support the USDA kill process as being kosher for Noahides, and then they, because of the inspectors, is not going to be a valid argument. Right. I was never really a fan before, but uh, veggie burgers are starting to sound pretty good. <laughs> I, I was actually wondering, you know, because I know one of the things that we've talked about in the past is about uh, some of the uh, some of the politics going on in the U.S. and the growth of government. And I guess maybe this is one area where we might not mind a few more government workers working on our behalf. Yeah, it'd be great to have some more inspectors at, you know, 100,000 a year. That would probably <laughs> work out well. <laughs> but I think it might be cheaper to go back, go and eat veggie burgers. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere there's human intervention, there will be human error. Yeah. And right. The, the responsibility, and this is the, this is the crux of this mitzvot here, the limb of a limbing animal. And this is the hardest thing I've been, uh, been able to articulate to other Gentiles is that this is a mitzvot, that requires personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. it, it is our responsibility what we do. It is our mitzvot. It's what we're responsible for, and uh, we cannot put it off on a government agency or any other individual. We need to be sure of what we're doing, and uh, we should look to the Jewish kosher methods and how they work and operate for their assurances and, and implement the same in our life, in our mitzvot that we are responsible for. Let me ask you this, now that you've you know, mentioned con concerning ourselves with the, the Jewish kosher 
uh, processing. I remember in Rabbi Richmond's lecture, he was actually saying that if you went to a Muslim store, that the meat that you buy in that store is actually considered kosher slaughter because of the process that it goes through. This is a while ago since I, I, I've watched it. Is that what he said? Is it uh, uh, that meat for Gentiles is kosher? Yes, and, and, and the key word is there is for Gentiles. It is, it is uh, Noahide kosher because it has a, the similar or pretty close to the exact kill process, and they look for the same things in that process, and um, they're... Uh, they do have a little bit different salting, uh, extracting the blood than a a, a Jewish culture uh, process would, and that's you know that would be about the only difference. But for what Noahides or Gentiles are looking for, the requirements are met with uh, halakhically slaughtered animals, and so therefore we can go and and purchase uh, halal meats. And on a, on a basis there, the, the benefit to that is it's um, a lot more available than Jewish kosher meats. It's cheaper because they uh, utilize the entire animal where the Jewish kosher doesn't take anything from the hindquarters. And so it is an, uh, one of our uh, options that we have in um, finding a source of uh, meat that would be acceptable to eat. Okay. I wanted to hit on one thing, which is going to be the real controversial aspect of this whole subject, and that's whether or not this is commanded to us or not. And I do recall Rabbi Richmond in his lecture saying that even though he felt that it was, and that Rob Schwartz felt that it was, or at a minimum, that it was the best thing for us, he did not go as far as to say that it was commanded to us, did he? I don't think he did, but, you know, you tell me. I, I mean, you probably paid closer attention to it than I did. Did he actually say it was a commandment? Well, the phrase is, many things are permissible, but not everything is profitable. Eating a, a animal that is slaughtered correctly is most definitely a commandment that, that we have to observe if we are going to be considered the righteous among uh, Gentiles. Now, how we go about that and to what levels we strive for that, that is the area of debate, and that is the area uh, where the controversy seems to come in. We, and, and my standing on the mitzvot itself is that we have to take personal responsibility for it. If, if we don't, then we are not complying with the mitzvot itself, unless we have some kind of Noahide standard in place as the Jews do with their, with like the OU labeling, with the, the meat inspectors that they have. Someone that is concerned about our religious requirements. And that is, that's the difference in USDA. Watching and monitoring the kill of that particular animal does not consider anyone else's religious requirements. Right. And in order for us to feel safe and to be sure, we would have to have someone there that does have our best interest in mind. Excellent. So you've uh, actually toured some of these uh, uh, slaughterhouses, and you mentioned personal responsibility, so I'm going to pop the question on you. Are you currently eating kosher? 
Yes, we have uh, we have uh, developed a uh, lifestyle that is uh, both relatively convenient, you know, uh, cost effective, and uh, and we have um, in our personal house in this household, you know, we have developed many ways to achieve what we feel is the responsible approach to this mitzvah. And uh, the phrase that come up to uh, that we have here is you know chicken again. We do eat a lot of chicken. We eat uh, fish. We have um, areas around here that we can go to uh, within a 100-mile radius and buy kosher meat, which is acceptable. But we've actually found in our local grocery stores here, which where we live at, nothing is local but the closest one, we found kosher ground meat and, and uh, chicken strips in there. Wow. You know, it's amazing what we'll be able to find once they try to look once they try to take responsibility it's amazing what you can do go and look and see and just walk through a grocery store and see how many OU labels are on all types of food <laughs> yeah. and so it's out there once we take on the responsibility that this is our mitzvot and this is something that we have to do in order to be compliant with that mitzvot and um, there is uh, you know other you know we live on a small farm and we have we raise animals and Fortunately, we live uh, within a 30-mile radius of a custom slaughterhouse that has done kosher kills and does uh, halakhic kills on a regular basis. So we have no problem with taking livestock uh, to this slaughterhouse and having it processed in a halal manner at a very, very reasonable price. Hmm. So there is many, many opportunities people have out there. It's not this unconceivable process we can definitely meet these goals just as deuteronomy 30 11 says you know he's not putting nothing before us that we can't handle mm -hmm. you know and so to me uh, on a personal level uh, some of the uh, excuses and, and problems that people have rose uh, to me about this situation are very simply overcome with that with a small amount of effort yeah hmm. It's fascinating. I was just sitting here thinking about this this whole thing. I, I'm just you know kind of curious from from your own personal experience uh, beyond just keeping the the, the mitzvot or I, should I say a higher level of the mitzvot. Have you experienced anything that you know? Do you feel better physically? Do you feel better spiritually? Do you just you know, do you feel better as a result of becoming kosher like you are now? Is there like a before shot and an after shot? Well, I know one thing. I know that uh, my cholesterol has dropped 30 points, and that's the, the one uh, uh, good benefit because you watch what you eat. You don't get to eat the hamburger at the McDonald's, you know, or, or whatever if you're running out of time or something like that. You know, you're aware of what you're eating. We definitely eat more fish and, and chicken, and um, so, you know, yeah. Physically, on a physical health matter, you know, there's a healthy aspect to it, a physical blessing from it. Um, spiritually, of, of course, there is, um, you know, spiritual benefits to it when we uh, when we eat uh, uh, according to the Torah's prescription. Now, the, the problem is uh, that, you know, uh, that we may have to say for later shows or different things is getting into uh, – the reason, uh, the reason that uh, a Gentile would take on uh, Jewish kosher uh, commands 
such as just eating clean and what that means. There, there's a, that's a different subject, and one of the uh, problems that we've experienced is we try to mix the two together, and then everything, you know, it's not clear. What we're talking about today is what is kosher for a Noahide concerning the mitzvot uh, to not eat the limb of a living animal. Now, what we're allowed to do for spiritual growth um, through Torah is a, is another subject that uh, that definitely has its 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 blessings in in spiritual growth in Torah that we've experienced. Well, I guess one of the things that when we were uh, when when we were going through this is that I realized that we really didn't talk about the difference between clean and unclean animals that we were really focused in on uh, issues regarding slaughter. Um, because I think that that's again, one of the conflicts that uh, exists is that there's a difference of opinion amongst people as to whether a Noahide uh, it's one thing to observe the uh, commandment regarding, uh, you know, how we treat an animal that we choose to consume versus what animals are we permitted to consume as Noahides or not, and whether there is a, a, a limitation on that. So, well, Ray uh, made a very interesting statement in the first segment, which he, he talked about Noah must have known. There must have been some kind of oral transmission. So Noah knew how to kill the animals and knew that he needed to be nerved dead. Well, in that uh, in uh, Bereshit chapter nine, Noah had to have oral command to know which animals were clean and unclean because he chose the the clean animals for the for the sacrifice. There was an oral tradition that can, uh, was obviously in place at the time of Noah to where you understood the kill process, you understood what was clean and unclean. I, I think. Uh, Noah was fully aware of uh, the requirements and what was going on. So when we get into what is clean and, and eating what is clean and unclean, it has been a debate for um, Gentiles to whether they should or should not. And I want to make it perfectly understandable that uh, Gentiles are free to eat anything they want to eat, from pork to uh kangaroos, anything they can. Uh, you know, everything is given to them as meat. Now, I go back to the statement, though, even though everything is permitted, not everything is profitable. And this is this is where we get into the spiritual aspects of eating clean and unclean. Uh, it is an elective to what we do for our own personal spiritual growth. And there again, this is an aspect where we take personal responsibilities and um, the one thing that uh, you know that I that concerns me about people who take on these extra mitzvot and then uh, would judge other non-Jews for not doing the same, and uh, then in the case of turnabout is fair play, uh, I've seen where Noahides who wouldn't take on the extra mitzvot condemning or chastising those that, that do. And uh, what we as Noahides have to achieve, if no one else, is, is a level of tolerance and understanding that we know that our dietary process is connected to us halakhically, 
and it's connected to us spiritually, and each individual is on their own spiritual path, and that each of us, you know, are, are working on our own level. And so if, um, if nothing else, I would like to see a, uh, a tolerance for those that are trying to eat uh, in a manner that will spiritually elevate them, or those who are trying to eat in a manner that is just halakhically commanded for them. And um, we have to separate these two ideals in order for that to happen. And we have to understand in our conversations when we say kosher for Noahides, we need to understand that that is involved with the kill process, not what is being killed. And when we as Noahides say that, you know, we tend to eat animals that are clean, then we have to understand that, that that's because of a, a spiritual quest within ourselves and, and drawing ourselves closer to Torah in, in whatever may, way we we or see that's working. Well, I can see already we are going to need to do a second show on this, at least a second show, because I've got all kinds of, of questions still here <laughs> to be asked and to be answered. And you know, I feel like we've gotten nowhere today. And I shouldn't say that. We've gotten a long way down the road, but I, I feel like there's so much more to, to have come out here. And, Russell, I'm just curious, while, I've, while we've got you on the air now, do you think you'll be able to uh, come back next week and, and do another show with us? Oh, sure, Ray. I would, I would love to. Like I said uh, early on, this, what we're opening up here is uh, an a, uh, unbelievable amount of information uh, and awareness. And, and basically what I would like to say, a consciousness is being awoken. And this is really, I believe, this is the context for this whole mitzvah, is to bring a consciousness to our being by what we eat and, and a consciousness to our uh, spirituality uh, with what we eat. And, and uh, you know, I'd just like to end with saying that um, the energy that I have in my body to say Baruch Hashem comes from what I have that I have eaten. And those life forms didn't have the ability to say Baruch Hashem except through me. And this is the, the depth of the responsibility we have when we eat, uh, you know, be it uh, uh, animal or even vegetable. And with that, we're going to have to bring the show to a close. And indeed, we have opened a can of worms. Uh, I don't know if worms are kosher or not. Maybe we'll find out next week. But we will see you next week. And, and folks, we appreciate you being with us. Russell, thank you so much for being with us today. But before we say goodbye, I'd like to let everyone know that Noahide Nations has officially launched the Academy of Shem Online Yeshiva. Prior to this, we had the members-only Torah Learning Center in which to conduct Torah classes. I'm happy to say that because of the kindness and generosity of those out there who support Noahide Nations and Torah, we've been able to open up the Academy of Shem to everyone who wishes to attend classes for free. 
However, we don't hold it against people if they'd like to make a donation. You can access the yeshiva from the Noahide Nations homepage or from the Noahide Nations page on Israel National Radio. We invite everyone to come and study Torah and have a good time. I'm also officially putting out the word that we are looking for more Torah teachers. If you would like to share your wisdom and knowledge, please contact me at ray at noahidenations.com. And we will get back with you next week for round two of Kosher Noahide. Whether out in combat or on the base, the Israeli Defense Forces devote their energy to protecting Israel. Gilly's Goodies Care Packages will let them know we care. Getting Gilly's Packages are more than just cookies. It reminds us that people all over the world are thinking about us and care about us. Only $18 a soldier gives cookies, cakes, and for Purim, hamantashen. The Gilly's Goodies Soldier Package. Visit gillysgoodies.com. That's G-I-L-I-S-G-O-O-D-I-E-S dot com. This is Tamar Yona of Israel National Radio. Thank you to all of our loyal listeners for your generous support during our Shevathon fundraiser. Our 12-hour live televised program brought together all of our show hosts and our listeners and was as fun for us as it was for you. You can continue throughout the year to show your support by clicking on the Support Us banner on the top of IsraelNationalRadio.com. Thank you again from Arut Sheva, Israel National Radio.